0: Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Laura Froyen, and on this week's episode, we're going to be talking about occupational therapy and how to support kiddos who are not necessarily neurotypical or have some sensory processing issues, like I know many of your kiddos have. Um, I will also touch on how to figure out if you need more support from an OT. And to help me with this conversation, I'm bringing in one of my favorite accounts on Instagram, the, what is it, the OT Butterfly? Yes, yeah. Yes. So that's her. your handle on Instagram, Laura. So we're having a Laura chat today. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I love talking to everybody about parenting and OT. So I am a pediatric occupational therapist. I specialize in working with children ages two to 10, and I work in a private clinic part-time, but the rest of my time I spend on Instagram, on my podcast, on my website, on courses. I really have a passion, a deep, deep passion, like way too obsessed with this. Like (laughs) I think about it all the time, teaching parents and teachers and really anyone who doesn't have the lens that I lens. I love teaching everybody how sensory processing impacts learning and behavior. And there's a lot of hidden things about sensory processing that can contribute to learning and behavior that we don't always think about. And I have a four and a half year old who is a neurodivergent kid. She has anxiety and sensory processing disorder. So I just really have a soft spot in my heart for parents who are going through this, particularly the ones who are no stranger to 45 minute meltdowns. When I coach parents through it, I love saying like, I'm in that club too. I get it. And it makes me feel like I'm a better parent coach and OT because I live through it too. So there's already that added connection. And I have a lot more practical solutions that I know is doable. I cringe when I think of some of the things I used to recommend to parents in my early OT days (laughs) when I was like a brand new, like straight out of grad school, like textbook learning grad school, like telling the parents what to do. And I was like, now I'm looking back, I'm like, I would have have never done that as like a parent of like a brand new kid. So anyway, yeah.
0: I wanna just highlight this too. So I have one of these kiddos who's had lots of hard times, you know, just lots and i don't know about you but for me in a being in this space in this position of being an expert supposing supposedly having all of the answers all of the tools in my toolbox and still having a hard time that can be hard you know to be in that place of like gosh and and at the same time it makes me have so much compassion cuz if like with all of the well re- like wealth of knowledge and resources we're still struggling like it's just sometimes it's just hard
1: Oh, yeah, 100%. And I say that all the time, and I, I find that parents like hearing that. They're like, they're like, I, I don't know. I don't want this to come off weird, but, like, you have to know how comforting it is to know that you have mm-hmm. a hard kid, too. They're like that this OT is still having a challenge raising their neurodivergent mm-hmm. child. And I'm like, yes, I was that pregnant First time mom was like <laughs> I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. My kid's going to hit all their milestones. I'm going to do all the sensory play. We're going to be like the textbook, like all of this set up, right? Like our kid like like I could program my child. If uh, like as as the kind of person I am, that would be the person that would be the child I would want because I'm so I need to be in control of things and I do things by the book. Mm-hmm. I study Everything. And so I was like, this is what's going to happen. This is how it's going to work out. And guess what? It did not work out that way because she has her own personality, her temperament, she has her own brain wiring that I, even as much as I try to shape and mold our daily experiences, I have no effect on how her brain perceives the world and how she learns and communicates. And that's something that I am now very comfortable and have come to terms with. And I love helping parents get to that part of their journey, even if it means using myself as the example, like, hey, look, I'm an OT and I still struggle with this and I have no shame in admitting that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there's this piece of of relief that like, okay, wait a second. It must not be my fault. There's nothing exactly. wrong with me and there's actually nothing wrong with my child that they exactly. are just wired a little bit differently and they need different supports and they need different inputs coming in. They need different, you know, a different environment that helps them feel safe and stable. Right. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Okay, so let's dig into that a little bit, because a lot of the parents I work with have these intense, spirited kids who are, who reactive, or the book I was reading most recently uh, is by Mona Della Hook, Brain Body Parenting, and she calls them- I haven't uh, read it yet, but I heard it. It's so, amazing. It's so, so good. Wait. You'll love it. But I she she calls these, these are kids with unstable platforms that just kind of get thrown mm. into fight or flight so easily. Yes. Yeah. Right. I love that phrasing, the unstable platforms. I just love it. And, and so for lots of the parents that I have, you know, I, I can tell immediately when I just, when I hear them talking about their kids, that their kids would benefit from OT, but why don't you just give me a quick rundown around how is OT helpful for these kids who maybe have a sensory processing disorder or have some neurodivergence? What is, what is it that
1: supports them
0: in, you know, yes,
1: Yeah, so I just want to quickly, I also want to mention one thing that that you said from Mona Dilla Hook's book that reminds me of something that my husband said at the time, just if this resonates with other parents, and I hear parents say this all the time, when you have a spirited child or a child who easily gets dysregulated and just goes at like goes into meltdown mode, like, quote, out of nowhere, right? My husband said one day, he's like, I just don't get it. Like, how can she go from like zero to 100? And I'm like, because she's not at zero. She is She's literally not zero. <laughs> hovering at 75 every single day. Like she mm-hmm. does not get down to zero. And that is the best with no context. Like that's all I say in parents. Are like, yes, that is exactly my child. She is not at zero. She is always hovering at right that. Her nervous system is always kind of at this like high alert state. So it doesn't yeah. take much for her to pass that threshold into dysregulation state. So how OT helps with that. So. If you have a child who is always hovering around 75, always seems to be like on alert, cautious, fearful, easy to react to certain things. So what happens in their brain is their brain has has developed like a shortcut pathway to dysregulation. Usually in A context that is repeated for them that has maybe some sensory triggers for them right so let's take the example of the bathroom there's a lot of. Things that happen in a bathroom that might be stressful for kids with sensory processing challenges, particularly sensory sensitivities right so there's if they are. Uh, sensitive to like teeth brushing or hair brushing or washing their face or taking a bath or washing their hair or -hmm. going to the potty. All of that happens in the context of the bathroom. And so what may start as a sensory sensitivity, like those things trigger their nervous system to have this big emotional fight or flight reaction that for neurotypical people feels like either out of nowhere or, like, exaggerated, right? We don't really get it. Overkill. We're like, what are you talking about? It's not even that loud, or it doesn't smell that bad, or it's not even – you're not even wet. Like, it was a splash of water. So that triggers their brain into fight or flight because they have a different threshold for getting dysregulated. They have a lower threshold for getting dysregulated. And the more often that happens – The brain starts to create an association, a learned pathway to dysregulation. And it does that sort of to like protect your body where it's like, hey, every time we're in this bathroom, it makes our heart race. My pupils are dilated. I start Mm -hmm. sweating. I don't feel good in my body. I feel stressed out. Let's not go in here again every time we go in here, we're going to have a fight or flight reaction to keep us out of this bathroom because it does not feel good to the nervous system. That is what the brain is automatically doing. But on the outside, this is your child avoiding bath. This is your child running away. This is your child screaming, Mm. putting their hands over their ears. This is them screaming bloody murder while you're trying to just like wash their face and you're scared your neighbors are going to call CPS (laughs) because it's so loud. And you're like, I swear I'm just trying to clean my child. So... The brain creates these like shortcut pathways to dysregulation. And it does so in a way that sometimes it's like, okay, you keep going to the bathroom. So now to save us from even going there, we're going to start, the brain is starting, is going to start triggering dysregulation maybe when we see the bathroom or when we hear mom say, it's going to be bath time. Now when we hear the word bath time. Our brain is creating stronger and stronger pathways to dysregulation. Mm-hmm. So what OT does either through parent coaching, like what I do online, or with in-person sensory integration, both of these are a great supplemental way to work on this, is OTs help your child create pathways to regulation. So the way that I like to visualize it is if like if you were taking like a shortcut route through this like wild field and there's like there's weeds and grass, like really tall pieces of foliage and all of that, and you're trying to take a shortcut to get somewhere, and there's no path, so you're, like, pushing your way through, right? That's, like, the first way that -hmm. your brain is creating, like, the first neuron connection to dysre- to regulation when you're at the bathroom. But the more often you take the same path, yeah. what happens is you create this little paved pathway in that field because you take it every single day over and over. So now your brain has created this pathway to regulation. And OT does that by, um, like I said, coaching parents on how to set up their environment at home and how to offer their kids more positive associations with a certain environment or context. In the clinic, if you work with an OT with sensory integration, they are actively teaching your child how to experience moments of regulation. Not so much in the context, because they're not always going to be like in the bathroom or they're not going to have the same triggers in the clinic, but it's truly just giving your child's brain more experience and your child's nervous system. More like game time of like, this is what regulation feels like. Bringing them a little below 75 if we're going to zero <laughs> 100 scale, right? Their body can, their, their nervous system can be like, oh, this is regul this is what it's supposed to feel like. Yeah. And the more that the brain and nervous system feel that way, hopefully it can then lead to like less meltdowns or less intense meltdowns and just more times of regulation. Yeah.
0: Okay. So I love this. All right. So there's kind of two directions, Laura, that I want to go here. So I'm making a, m- a mental note for myself to come back to the one that I'm not going to take to that path that I'm yep. not going to take yes, right now. Yes, but the path it. I'm going to take right now is so a lot of my clients and community members who have gotten their child into OT, it seems to me when I hear from their, about their experiences, that they're not fully accessing the wealth of knowledge that OTs have, that they're not fully accessing... That they don't necessarily even know how to fully access the experience of ot Uh, over these past two years a lot of the ot has been happening virtually which i can't even imagine when when my daughter was in ot we were in person in the room a parent was always with there and was heavily involved in the ot it was crucial for us to be involved and i know that that's been really difficult over these past two years if you had anything for i guess any recommendations or or ways for parents to really engage with their OTs and work with them, start partnering with them, um, with their child's OTs. Do you have any, like, kind of jumping off points? Because I, I feel like there is a, lots of the parents I talk to, there is this kind of almost like a lack of understanding of what is happening in the OT session with their child and how it translates to things at home. And It sounds like you are very, you know, I I know all all OTs have different experience and training and I'm sure some are better at others than at like really walking a parent through things. So if that you are a parent who doesn't have one of those OTs who's walking through you through it or you haven't had access to it because you haven't been in person because that's just the reality for these past two years this is the longest question ever. I'm sorry. No, I I, no,
1: I love the way you're explaining it because this but, is setting it up perfectly. So okay, keep going. Good. Yeah. So for those parents, how
0: can what can they be doing and saying to really partner with their OT and really understand what the OT is doing for their kid and how they can start applying those principles and really starting to embody them and build them into their parenting? Because that that was the thing that I think helped us so much in my child's OT experience. And
1: I'm, I'm happy to talk about that too, but go ahead. Yeah. So the first thing I want to say is I always preface this with saying that I am a private clinic OT. So I work in sensory integration clinics and it is not affiliated with a hospital like outpatient setting. And we are not affiliate, like we help parents get reimbursed by like providing them an invoice, but we don't take insurances directly, right? And so that frame, that already like mindset already kind of shapes how I, the freedom that I have as an Mm -hmm. OT. And I know from speaking to parents who have different, have their kids in different settings or from colleagues who are in different settings, I know that not all settings are able to do what I'm going to share with you. But if, but it's it's always worth asking, right? So I will already separate. If your child's in school-based OT, that is a whole different layer of red tape and things to get through just to like, email your, your OT and get a response back. Mm-hmm. Like they can't even like access their email sometimes outside of school, like Wi-Fi. Like they, they have a lot more steps to get in contact with them. Oh, right. That's so that's
0: such, that's such good contextual yes,
1: information. Thank you. Exactly. Laura. Because I get that too. I'll, I'll try to email someone, uh, an OT that I'm collaborating with on a client that we both see. And I will get an email back like, oh, it's weekend. I don't have access to my email because I have to be within school, whatever. And I'm like, oh, that." that makes sense. So that already is a piece. So, and then the other part is even if you're just, if you're in an OT clinic with your child, but you are more of like an affiliate, you're in a clinic that's affiliated with the hospital or you're going through insurance. I know that these clinics typically have really, really high caseload numbers Mm -hmm. and are also very like, they can seem quick with the information because they have to get to the next kid like yeah. right away. There's like no time in person. So I, I kind of get that. Can we just I... have,
0: a, can we just have a, like a moment for of compassion for these providers? For this. Yes. I mean, and I know that as parents, we're so focused on our individual child I and it, it can be so frustrating. But for these providers, our, our kids' therapists and, and yeah. OTs, they've been living through this, this time too. Mm-hmm. They've been seeing all of the stuff that the kids are living through, right? We get just this little picture of just our child, often yeah. who have been in very privileged positions, sure. you know, and v- been very well protected from the, this uh, just the trauma of these past two mm-hmm. years. And they're still, these kids are still having big reactions oh yeah and then these oTS have been exposed to just so much more right. you know I just yeah. it's just
1: a moment of compassion for uh-huh. oof, yes. the work it is that your when I are hear doing. of those when I hear colleagues of mine going through that I'm like oh that really seems like a big stress to your like yeah. nervous system just talking about your nervous system like daily waking up stress mm-hmm. and and the level of productivity that they are held to by their companies by the insurance where like literally down to the minute they ha- where they don't even have time to go to the bathroom, like there's a lot of stuff going Ooh. in there. So, for parents to have compassion for that, but but still, so I'm going to share with you some ways that that. I have been privileged enough to be able to afford my clients and offer to them because I would say in these private clinics, we have a lot more free reign. We are not limited by a lot of insurance parameters on like goals or like Mm -hmm. only 12 visits. Like there's a lot of like I can work on so many things. But again, it's a privileged setting to work in for myself and for the families who are able to come because a lot of them pay out of pocket. So I understand that that is definitely an aspect to this. But So something that I feel like wasn't stressed a lot in grad school when I went for an OT I don't know if it's different now maybe times are changing maybe even after COVID but they did not stress a lot the importance of having regular one-on-one like parent OT conference consultations coaching sessions they did not stress that we talked about like the parent coaching model but they never were like you should be doing this every month or every three months or things like that and what I found was when I was more full-time in the clinic pre-COVID, I, like you, or like like my colleagues, like after each session, I would spend like five minutes debriefing with them, but there were two things wrong with that. One was I was like, my mind was like split, like, okay, I got to clean up that room, get ready for this kid, and try to go pee, but I really want to spend time telling this mom how great her son did this, but it comes out as me spewing. So we did this obstacle course with vestibular input and then proprioception. like I'm – Yes. Splurging all these things that I remember, <laughs> she and I did have this conversation about it, but it was like six months ago when I first evaluated her son and we sat down for the parent conference. But like, I don't. Why would she remember that? It's every so overwhelming time? as a parent. It's so overwhelming. Too. Yes. So that's like one piece. The speed of it. The second piece was the kid is always there. Mm -hmm. like next to us, right? And so there's that distraction of them ready to go home, mom, let's go, or mom, look what I did. And they want to be part of the conversation. But then there's the other piece of like not talking about the kid in front of the kid. Yeah. So then I can't be fully candid about things that were hard for them. So I'm like sugarcoating things and I can't really tell mom like, hey, we should look out for this thing I noticed. Like, And so then I would spend outside hours emailing parents. And then that was just like a like not balanced lifestyle for me as well. Ah. So once COVID hit, I heard a lot of pros about teletherapy was that the OTs finally got to really spend time coaching parents or parents really got to sit in and notice Mm -hmm. the language that OTs use, the really creative ways we get to motivate kids through tasks that they would otherwise refuse. And what I noticed was when that – so during COVID, that's when I started – I wasn't seeing kids. I was in between clinics, and I just started focusing on coaching parents and telling them how they can support their kids at home. And even without their kids seeing me in person, they were still making progress. So then fast forward to when things got more manageable, and now I'm back in the clinic less time. Now I've made it a point to when I evaluate a family, I say, I have that first parent evaluation and I say, hey, this is what I noticed going on. We're going to work on it this way. So explaining explicitly what they're going to see in the session. Yes, you are here for feeding, for handwriting, but we are going to be spending time doing obstacle courses, playing games on the floor. It's going to look a lot like playing. It is playing, but I promise you we're working on skills. And then I say, I recommend having parent consults parent coaching once a month for at least the first three to six months, depending on how severe or how much information I need to give them. I love that. And I've noticed such a huge impact from the parents' understanding, from my confidence, like not worrying like, you know, I, I know if any OTs or other therapists are listening, like there's a there's this like hidden stress sometimes when I'm playing with the kid. And if I didn't get to connect with that parent and they like come and observe the last five minutes, I feel so much pressure of them thinking like I'm not doing anything because we're like sitting and talking about like dolls and doing pretend play. But I'm like, I promise this is really impactful. So now (laughs) I feel way less stress and I feel more confident and then the parents feel more confident. It's just all around great. So for parents, if you can ask whatever setting you're in, it doesn't hurt to ask if there can be set aside time for one-on-one uninterrupted parent consultations within your therapist caseload now to be creative with this if your therapist is like I don't have time to add that to my caseload right Mm -hmm. then I have sometimes and I have I again I have the flexibility to do that but some I know colleagues who are just like back to back to back I've had parents substitute so if your kid is going once a week for the full, like a full month, so four visits, I would have parents substitute one of those four visits yeah. to be just parent and OT. And then parents like, but wait, aren't they not going to, like, I don't want them to miss a session. I'm like, trust me, the the value you're going to get from a parent coaching one-on-one yeah. is going to supplement or even make it better your experience, even if your child is not getting it, getting because that direct OT.
0: Because you're, you're only together one you know one hour a week if you're doing weekly exactly. sessions and there's so many other hours right. in the time in yeah. between sessions yeah yeah so I I really love that emphasis and so being able to ask for that you know there were times too we were able to do like a half session yes with my daughter and then a half session yeah. with just us where
1: yeah
0: we were we this was during COVID so we were at a park doing sessions yeah. we were doing outside yes, sessions that. at a park and so she would just go and play and. We would say
1: I love that. See, it you could be so super fun. creative yes. with the settings yeah. and doing it. You just have to ask. And it's interesting because since I've been talking about this, like the current clinic I'm at, I went into when I started working there, I was like, I am happy to work here. But I was like, just so you know, this is what I'm going to be recommending to all my family like. I have to make parent culture part boundaries. of it, Lovely
0: and Lord. then
1: <laughs> the clinic director. She was like, "That's amazing!" And so now she's having all of the other therapists offer that. And then there's other my colleagues that I have Instagram that are other OTs. They're like, "I started doing that in my practice too, and it's made such a difference." Like, it's not yeah. something that's standard. But once they start offering that, so so when I'm um, so I'm saying that because when parents ask OTs, they might be like, oh, well, like we don't do that because it, they've never done it, but they've never considered it. So be like, are you willing to like yeah. substitute a session? Um, but knowing that parents again coming in like this is definitely like one of those like privileged pieces. So you probably you will have to pay out of pocket for it. Sometimes if you're going through an insurance plan. Um, probably won't be covered by insurance unless there's a, some insurance is great with parent coaching, but just so you know that that would be like an, typically an added charge, added fee to it. But it's definitely worth asking if they could do phone calls, Zoom calls in person, some uninterrupted time to talk at length about your child's progress, their strengths, things that they're noticing, things you're noticing at home. And this gives the OT chances to coach you on specific things at home, because that's the number one thing I hear from parents when they come to me for virtual coaching is they're like, yeah, we're an OT, but they don't really help us with home stuff. Mm -hmm. They just like work with my kid and they don't help me deal with the meltdowns. I'm like, oh, they should be helping you with the meltdowns. Like you should ask them. I'm happy to coach you through it. I love that. But also it's probably more bang for your buck if you get, if you work with the OT who sees your child person and knows them. So definitely
0: ask. Okay. So I love that. It never hurts to ask. And I, I really, I think that that's so important. So kind of, do, can you give us, well, I think in my experience with OT, with my, my oldest daughter, who's nine now, and she graduated from OT when she was seven. So she went from when she was five to seven and it was wonderful. I think the thing that helped the most in terms of OT for her was her therapist very carefully helping her tune into her body and listen to what her body was communicating and to what it needed. And so we would go through various, I mean, she had a lot of reflex integration issues, a lot of, she didn't crawl. So she had a lot of crossing the midline stuff that needed to be happened to, but most of it was spent kind of engaging different sensory systems, doing different things and figuring out does this activate you or does this regulate you does this you know does this make you feel more calm does this make you feel more alert and really tuning in and i think i wasn't expecting that that would be part of ot you know what i mean and i i'm curious if you can so the other issue that i see in my communities right now is that people know their kids need ot and they cannot get in and because it's the wait lists are so long and so in, like, what are, what are some of the things we can be doing as parents at home with our kids when we, we know something's going on for our kids mm-hmm. and we feel very ill-equipped to help them? What are some of the things we can be doing?
1: Yeah. So first of all, it sounds like your OT was an amazing OT because that's definitely amazing. (laughs) That is A plus, gold standard, real good OTing right there because it's not just doing onto the child. It's not just playing with them, but it's really take – then you bridge the gap. That steps towards self-regulation so that your daughter knows what works for her body. And this is where I really love highlighting – Like, what's that quote? It's like, if you give a man a fish –
0: He'll eat something. for a day. He'll eat for a day a if you fish. teach a man
1: of ill – that thing. Yes, yes that. Yeah, that, <laughs> that whole thing. That's what I focus on with parents because they're like, what can I do to regulate my child? She's hyperactive. My, what can I do to regulate my child? She is having meltdowns. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, it really depends because it whatever regulates me might not regulate your daughter. What might regulate your daughter might not regulate your son. And it, it everybody's yeah. nervous system is different. So you really do need to know how to be a sensory detective, which is what I call or sense. So, so in my parent program, I talk about becoming sensory detectives. And so there are some general sensory inputs that are pretty universally regulating mostly. And I will like tread lightly there because obviously everybody is different, but it's about, so that's, that's heavy work is mm-hmm. like any input that's to your muscles and tendons and joints. Anytime you're chewing pushing, uh, jumping, carrying, all of that input to your muscles and tendons and joints is highly regulating to the nervous system. No matter what kind of sensory threshold you have, it's pretty universally calming, just like deep breaths are. Those are the two that are like, start here, right? And so-
0: This is but, one of the reasons why I think runners love running so much. Like, oh, yeah. runners who are intense
1: runners who pound oh, yeah. the pavement, Oh yeah,
0: like, you guys are sensory seekers.
1: Sensory seekers. Or people that go to the gym every day. And lift heavy. And yeah. lift, and, yeah. uh, and, they, and they're like, I don't feel- good unless they do that. I'm like, that's great. I wish I had that sensory profile. I don't have that one. So (laughs) that's amazing. But parents always ask like, is my kid going to grow out of this? I'm like, they might not grow out of it, but they will adapt their lifestyle. Like they might be the person who wakes up at five in the morning to make sure that they get their yoga running, working out and not to be a fitness person, but because it feels good for their nervous system. So they might or they might grow up and be like a skydiver (laughs) because they're (laughs) such a sensory seeker. So parents to notice what you think regulates your child when i say regulate like what do you notice is most calming for your child do is it when they move and they swing a lot then you notice like oh wow like they were like sitting all through dinner super quiet and like had conversations they weren't dysregulated. i wonder if it had to do with the hour of swinging they did before or today was a swim day after swim seem to always be super regulated or i noticed when my child is having a meltdown like the only thing that calms her down is when i'm hugging her and humming or Mm. something and so you're trying to take little clues and then you can try to categorize like is it a touch close body thing is it a movement thing and then try to find different activities that can target that. Again, this, this sometimes needs some guidance from an OT, but even if you can't work directly with an OT, there's a lot of information on Instagram. I have a lot of stuff on Instagram to like dive into the, the sensory regulation stuff. But my point is whatever like Pinterest list you print out of like, if you type in heavy work, there's probably going to be some free thing of like 101 ways to do heavy work. Can
0: I tell you when I started recommending heavy work to parents, seven years ago there was nothing there was one article on an ot's website with lists of heavy work activities
1: it's great but it's like it can be overwhelming
0: and so what i like
1: parents to know is that like not all heavy work not all regulation activities are created equal like oh i found this 101 list i'm gonna do 101 of these every single day it's take that list and i would narrow it down like what do you think is something your child might like to do like oh i see them crawl all the time maybe they would like this army crawling like activity or whatever and then once you do it then that's when you really become the detective and you can involve your child if they have speaking abilities and and they have the other cognitive abilities to help dissect what's happening like your ot was helping your daughter so you do the activity and then you ask them how did that make your heart feel how did that make your body feel i noticed you started moving a lot slower i noticed the volume of your voice got down to my level and it wasn't super loud or opposite. I noticed your body started moving really fast and silly. Maybe that's not such a good calming activity. What do you think? So you can really like try these out and involve your child in the process if they can, but really for you to observe how is this regulating the body. The other thing I want to mention to parents, whenever you're trying like a sensory strategy, heavy work activity or deep breathing activity is like if you try it once and like, It feels like it, quote, doesn't work or didn't, quote, do anything. I'm putting a lot of air quotes here. (laughs) I usually recommend to parents to try something, like, for a couple weeks consistently before you truly notice anything. Because it takes kids sometimes that initial time to get over a new routine where they might be like fighting back to it or the novelty of it is really exciting and then they do great with it but then after a while like oh well it doesn't work anymore so i say give it a couple weeks before you decide if a sensory strategy is really working for you there's a piece of of
0: it like of the dose too like right so it's you know doing it over time it it builds those neural connections and it it helps with those things and then there's also like I, i don't know for this is true for all folks, but for my child, swinging to a certain point is really grounding. But if yeah. she goes past it and gets too much, then it's, she's wild, you know? And yep. it, and so Absolutely. helping her like hone in on like, mm-hmm. what is the limit? Where is that boundary? And you too, like as a parent noticing and helping them notice, I, I think that... Well, you know they're they're gonna own this body forever, right? This is their this is their body. They're gonna have this nervous system forever, and that's right. And they they need to learn how to to use
1: it for their best highest self. Yep. So that's why the I spend most of my time teaching parents how to notice signs of dysregulation because I can't tell you – they're like, well, how long should I be doing heavy work? I'm like, well, it depends what the heavy work is, what your child is, how much – like there's so many – it depends. It depends. I don't mm-hmm. – you, you won't see me give like a – Full list of like, here's a sensory diet. If you have a sensory seeker, here's what you should do. That is not what I do. I give like ideas of how to structure certain activities, but it's really your job as a parent and maybe in conjunction with an OT to help craft a list of things that might work for your particular child. And then you really do have to sit and observe. And it's a constant reanalysis of what is working, what might not work, noticing other patterns and contexts that might be contributing to that. Like, well, swinging works on Mondays, but not on Fridays. Why? Oh, well, because on Friday she also has gymnastics. Mm-hmm. She also has swim. It's half day at school. Then we do the water park. Like, there's a lot that goes into it. It's never just a one-size-fits-all thing for sure.
0: I love that. The individualizing pieces of it. All right. So you have a course that where you support parents with figuring some of these things out for those of us who don't have access to OTs or to awesome OTs like you who are really going to be supporting our kiddos.
1: So I have two courses that are kind of helpful. So one is... A just a very like crash course, mini course. If you are kind of starting out as a parent and you're still trying to figure out your child's behaviors, or you do know your child is a sensor has a sensory challenge, but you're like, oh, whenever they hit their brother, I can't tell. Like, is that a behavior or is that a sensory thing? Like, what is this? Are they doing it on purpose or is this some other thing? There's usually that debate, like, what is going on here? Oh my gosh, yes. Yes. And (laughs) I love when parents are asking that. That means you're already, like, step one is already, like, curious about the behavior. You're not just, like, jumping to a conclusion. But it does take some, like, troubleshooting and taking things apart. So I have this course called Sensory is Behavior. By the time this podcast is out, mm-hmm. it will be live. So you yes, can go to yeah. the otbutterfly.com slash behavior. And that's where I really, I talk about like 10 really common childhood behaviors and I brain dump all the potential reasons why it could be a sensory trigger. And I could, and I brain dump all the potential reasons why it's not a sensory trigger. That includes, you know, need for a parent connection, mm-hmm. language challenges, cognitive abilities, all of those things. And then, giving you some general ideas on how to support a sensory behavior versus a non-sensory behavior. Again, I never go into too much detail in these like widespread courses because – It's It's not a one size fits all. So if you're looking for like a one size, not one size, if you're looking for more guided support for a particular, like a very unique behavior or something that's happening, I offer one-on-one coaching, which is the otbutterfly.com slash parent consult, one word, where I can really talk through all of the nuance to it. But then the other, the last offer that I have that's really helpful for parents is very niche specific If you have a child who is sensory sensitive, so they have a hard time with clothes, this is my daughter, like (laughs) the feel of socks, the feel of like seams, the feel of the way the pants fit, jackets, any of that, or if they are a picky eater, or if they're sensitive to any of the grooming things I kind of talked about earlier in the bathroom, like brushing hair, washing hair, taking a bath, nail clipping, hair cutting. If they're sensitive to sound or sensitive to messy play, all of those things I focus on in my parent program called, uh, the sensory wise solutions program. Mm -hmm. And it's an online, it's a course with a group coaching. So this is where I can give you, because I'm focusing on very specific sensitivity to bathroom, I can give, exactly what you should do and some ideas to tailor it for your kids. And there's group coaching there as well. So that one enrolls a few times a year. The next time I'm opening it is probably in June. But if you want to know more, you can always just go to theotbutterfly.com and everything will be there or find me on Instagram and I will happily guide you in the right resource. But a couple, I want to mention two free sources, resources Mm -hmm. for parents who want to just find out more. So one of my uh, favorite ones is if you're, curious if what sensory sensitivity really looks like more fleshed out, I have a checklist for that. So you can go to the otbutterfly.com checklist and to see if your child is sensory sensitive or if it is like leaning that way. And at least it gives you kind of like talking points to bring up to professionals if yeah, you want to yeah. talk about your child's so behaviors and then since i did mention heavy work and if you want to learn more about that i have a freebie called who needs heavy work so it talks about yeah. like the different behaviors that would benefit from extra heavy work and then some that. general ideas of what that is and that's the ot com slash heavy work i'll have to make sure that that's the right yeah. thing I'll, and I'll send you the link you just send me the link yeah for sure but yeah, so there's lots of stuff out there for parents to get started. If you're in that long, long wait list for OT, which I know it's just yeah. getting it's oh, I'm getting so really glad that there's resources
0: out there for folks. Can I ask you one question? And this is maybe like a professional, yeah. professional question. So, but you all get to listen in to it because um, I, I know we're wrapping up. You've got to go to a session. Yeah. But, so when you were talking, for I, I got completely like just down on like a thought wormhole when you were talking about is this a sensory thing or is this a behavioral thing and I just want to make sure I'm thinking about things right because I'm not an expert on like on sensory stuff I've done a lot of self-educating I work with a lot of folks who are you know I work on the parenting side of things and you're definitely the expert on the the kind of the the sensory and what's going on in the for the child um from that perspective and so when I'm when I'm thinking about things like You know, if a a kid is refusing, you know, you're driving on the highway and the kid is refusing to put the window up because, you know, it's rushing on their face, right? That's clearly a sensory thing. But if the kiddo is, you know, dysregulated and hitting their sibling. So I'm just checking to make sure I'm thinking about this, right? If they are doing that, it could be that, that they have this need for connection right then, or they have some jealousy or they need some emotional support to help them be regulated. Mm -hmm. But in my experience with my kiddo, it could also be that they've had this other, this whole day that was just challenging for them because of their unique neural wiring, where just existing, like literally walking through the world is harder for them. And their platform is already at that kind of, at that 75 we were talking about. And so it it, it can be this, I don't know, this muddy thing to tease apart. And so even if that behavior when she's hitting her sister is really about getting connection right there's also other sensory
1: things at play there is that right am i thinking about this right that's that's right that's exactly right and that's that hitting is such a comp i mean all behaviors are more complex than what we see obviously but hitting is one that i get asked a lot and like you're right there's that emotional component to it and then if your child is maybe more prone to dysregulation there could be like this buildup Mm-hmm. of things throughout their day, sensory inputs, routine changes, things that just were like thrown at their nervous system that yeah. now they're just in no place to be in control of it and it's all just spilling out. And so in that case, it could be a sensory thing and a an emotional need piece. Mm-hmm. It could be both, right? And the thing that I like to say about sensory triggers is that it doesn't always have to be such a clear cut, like you said, like window or like the toilet flushing and then that happens and then cry, and then it's done. Like, oh, that was clear, the trigger was the, the toilet. It can be a buildup, like you're talking about. Yeah. It can be a buildup from that day. It could be a buildup of weeks. weeks. It could be, mm-hmm. right? And it could just be like maybe, even if a kid like didn't sleep well the night before, I sometimes still consider that a sensory issue. If they have interoception in, challenges with their internal states, and their nervous system is even more dysregulated, and they are a dysregulated child like more often, I could still consider that part of it. So it really is complex. And then the other piece is sometimes the actual act of hitting gives feedback, proprioceptive feedback. So yeah. it's a tricky way that it actually like feels good to their body, yeah. even if they know they like should not. So that's the piece, we right? right, as parents. But you know you're not supposed to hit. But either like, one, it feels good to my body. Two, it felt good to like express that emotion. Three, mm-hmm. I really had no control over my body, right? There's like a lot of things that go into it. And that first step of noticing that there's so many different reasons for this gives you an ounce more, I hope, of compassion to yeah. be able to make it through, to to respond in a more intentional way to your child. Although I know I'm like the first to admit I'm not always perfect with the way that I respond to my child's behaviors, but it can help when you have the right mindset most of the time.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, all of us parents, we know from experience that the knowing and the doing, like the knowing the right thing to do and the doing of the right thing are two
1: completely different
0: Even for us. Yes, exactly. So it's like, for sure.
1: So when parents are like, well, she knows not to hit. I'm like, well, you know not to yell and you still yell. (laughs) And they're like, oops. And I'm like, I mean, I do too, but it's just like pointing it out that like we are human. human. Exactly. Yeah, exactly.
0: And if it's confusing to us to like think about piecing it all out with our fully developed brains, I just, I can just imagine how confusing it is for kids to have to be in this dysregulated state and then have these impulses and emotions boiling to the surface with very few skills and experience.
1: And executive In- functioning yes, like that's not yes. even developed until you're like mid-twenties like, why are we so not confusing. talking about that yeah. yes
0: exactly <laughs> I, I feel so much the same so so much compassion to to parents and kiddos and wonderful OTs <laughs> yeah. thank you Laura for this time <laughs> that you spent with us yes. I, I really appreciate you
1: helping me shine some light on some of these and I'm, so happy too. Yeah. I'm so happy to I'm so happy to it fills my cup to be able to talk about this and knowing more people are hearing about OT maybe for the first time or are feeling reinvigorated to go back to their child's OT with more ideas or feeling more confident at home. I just want parents to feel like more empowered, really, to yeah. be their child's best advocate. So,
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Parents are amazing, don't you love them? I, I love I love working, getting to work with parents. It I feels like lo- such a I
1: used blessing. to I used to be afraid of working with parents when I wasn't one, and every time I had a parent consult, I'd be so nervous and like, <laughs> oh my gosh, she doesn't like me, or like I don't know how to tell her. But now I, it's my favorite. It's my absolute favorite. Mm-hmm. In fact, even when I started the OT Butterfly, I used to only talk to therapists. And they're like, can you give parents advice? I'm like, no, I only talk to therapists. My audience is therapists. I'm giving them – because I was scared to talk to parents, even as a parent. But now I've like – once I open that door, I'm like, oh, you are my people, and I connect with you. And it feels – it's so rewarding to know that, like, you've given parents these tools for a lifetime so that you can set them up for success, so they can set their kids up for success. I love it.
0: It's beautiful. Thank you. It's yes. it's a gift. Thank you for, for working through that and and starting to share because we need it. Oh, I love
1: it. I'm glad <laughs> that that I'm on this path now. I would never. I would never change that.
0: Oh, beautiful. Thanks for being here, Laura. Thank you so much.